and so it, it really is about breaking the yoke of systemic uh, poverty among not just the rural poor, but uh, the urban poor as well, teaching people how to grow food. Um, but it's a discipleship program. It's about walking in the ways of the Lord and learning how to work in harmony with God's good creation so that creation can look after us, just like the way God intended right from the beginning from the Garden of Eden. So there, there's the, the brief introduction. We're pressing pause on our um, series on Acts, but we're not pressing pause on really what we're talking about, which is what, what is the mission of the church? Um, we're not going to be using the screen today. If we want uh, these lights on, that's fine. But you'll remember the, um, the visual that, that Chris has made of the gospel at the center. We love God. We express love to the church, to each other. We express love to our neighbor, and we are on mission to the world. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of that today. But first, I want, I'm sorry if I walk around a little bit today, um, I want to draw a bit of a contrast first. Okay? So on the one hand, what we often see and what we often talk about, right, it's that Genesis 3 world, the world we live in after the fall, uh, fallen mankind and people living for themselves and living with the consequences of all of that. And if we look at South Africa, the things that we talk about, the things we see in the newspapers and the things that get us down often, right? The legacy of apartheid, we live in a radically racial, racially divided society. Inequality, um, South Africa is either number one or number two in the world for inequality between the rich and poor. And it depends on the year. Sometimes it's Brazil and sometimes it's South Africa. Radically divided in terms of equality. We have an incredibly broken school system. Uh, if you've been to a government school in the rural areas, it is absolutely shocking. It's amazing that the kids learn actually learn anything. Widespread spread corruption. We've still got the Soccer Commission on state capture. I think the government is getting ready to roll out the next uh, chapter of that report. Violence and murder. Again, South Africa is one of the most violent societies on the planet. I think Johannesburg has been number one in the world for many years in terms of um, uh, violent crime. I think Cape Town is probably number two. And maybe at the moment they're, they're trading places in the world. And then, of course, in KZN, over the last couple of years, we've had not just the dealing with COVID, we've had the, uh, the looting and the riots and the burnout. KZN was on fire. Durban was on fire last year, July. Uh, and then lately, we've had the, the flood. Increased levels of poverty, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, unemployment, inability to provide uh, for ourselves. Isn't this a cheering message? <laughs> Aren't you glad you stayed? Yes, And then closer to home. I don't know what it's like for, for you if you have uh, people that work in your home or work in your garden, but uh, for us, it, it, gets, it can get a bit overwhelming in terms of uh, just the level of dependency, uh, living with, with poor choices, living with the legacy of uh, poor education, children not being developed, a lack of understanding of early childhood development and how important that is, 
employees, uh, as I said, making poor decisions and chronically unable to make ends meet. Uh, often, we're getting requests from our employees. I, I can't make this, can't make that, um, despite being relatively well paid. And yet, and yet, the disciples said to Jesus one day, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. So we live, obviously, in a broken world. We live in this tension of things are radically broken. Lord, just come today. Come now. Come now. I'm done. I'm finished with this. Lord, we feel overwhelmed. People are homeless. These floods. My wife this morning, well, she didn't sleep well last night because this rain is coming and it's dealing, remembering all the trauma of the last flood and people losing their homes and are going to lose our, our homes are going to be washed away. It's not an easy place to be. It's not an easy place to live. And yet, Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in well, what does this kingdom look like? I don't have time to flesh all of this out, and Chris has, has done sermons on the kingdom in the past, but one of the, one of, a guiding uh, verse for me, it's in uh, Micah chapter 3, and it's, it's this passage that talks about the people will um, beat their, their, beat their swords into plowshares. And every man will live under their own fig tree and manage their own vine, and no one will make them afraid. It's a picture of the kingdom of the land is supporting us. We're living in safety and security and total lack of fear. That's a picture of the kingdom where everybody experiences that kind of a life and a reliance on the Father and a peace and security and shalom and no one will make them afraid. Well, where's the kingdom? Where is it? Do you see evidence of it around you? Where's the evidence of God's rule and reign? I think there is evidence and plenty of it of God's rule and reign. So for example, Universal education, so our education system uh, might not be great, but we have a universal education system. Whose idea was that? Universal education hasn't been around forever. It's actually a relatively new thing. Where did it come from? Whose idea was it? I want to tell you, I'm not going to go into detail on these examples, but the idea came from the church. Democracy. We live in a broken democracy, but we have a democracy. We, all of us, all citizens, not me, I'm not a citizen, <laughs> all citizens of South Africa, actually every five years in this country, get to go to the polls and decide together as a nation who is going to govern them. Whose idea was that? That idea came from the church. It's not perfect, it's broken, but we get a say in who governs us. And that came from the church. Uh, law enforcement. Okay, it might be broken, but we 
That's an, that's an amazing thing. There are evidences of God's rule and reign. These things need to be renewed. They need to be revived. They need to be fixed. But there's plenty of evidence of God's rule and reign if you know where to look. Uh, look at us this morning. We get to come together. We get to worship our God in freedom. In freedom. Where did that freedom come from? It came from God's rule and reign. So we live in this tension, don't we? I'd like for us to look at an incredible uh, passage of scripture. It's in Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 18. I'll read it to you freely. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I just want to pause there. Our present sufferings, this life is not easy. It's difficult. My wife didn't sleep last night. Why? Because she was concerned about our staff. And she's concerned about people within our network and the, the rain and possible devastation. We do suffer in this world. And yet Paul says, I don't consider it worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then an amazing verse. The creation waits in eager expectation for proper functioning government to be revealed so that we can live in a proper society. Okay, that's not what it says. That's how we think though, isn't it? That's how we think. If only this government would get its act together, we can get things sorted out in this country, finally, once and for all. But this says, the creation, all of creation, Last year in South Africa, society, we're, we're groaning. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Well, that's a different way of thinking. Because now it's not an issue of government. It's an issue of the children of God to be revealed. The creation was subjected to frustration, not by the one, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who subjected the creation to frustration? The evil one. Okay. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's the kingdom coming. That's the kingdom coming. When is it coming? Well, it's already here. It's coming. It's come and it's coming now. It, the kingdom of God is advancing now. It's going to be culminated when Jesus returns. But the kingdom of God is in fact here. It's coming and it's advancing as we speak. How is it advancing as we speak? It's advancing by the revealing of the children of God. So I'm challenging, I think, I hope, um, Ways of thinking that we slip into because of the world that we live in and because of the papers that we read and the media that we're exposed to and, and the, the, the whinging of, of our friends about society and government and all of this kind of thing. I want to challenge them and say, hang on a second. It's not even the government's job to have the kingdom come in its fullness. It's not the government's job to provide us with the shalom and the peace and the security and the the joy uh, um, 
that, that God intends for us, it's not their job. They can be an agent, they ought to be an agent of God, and, and Romans talks about how God himself puts governments in place, and we're to respect them, and we're to pray for them. But ultimately, the renewing of creation in the here and now, the advancing of the kingdom, comes to the revealing of the children of God. And creation is groaning for it. Creation is in eager expectation for it. And creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, why don't we see more of that? Why don't we see more evidence of creation being liberated from its bondage to decay? I want to um, take a moment and turn to another passage of Scripture. I don't want you to turn to it. And the reason is, um, for most of church history, the Word of God was something experienced audibly through somebody saying and reading. So I'd like you to experience that this morning. The passage for future reference, if you want to make a note, is Isaiah chapter 58. Okay. And with your permission, uh, I, uh, I memorized this passage a number of years ago. So would it be okay if I did a little recitation of Isaiah 58? And then we're going to look closely at what it's actually saying, because this passage is written to us. It's the word of God. It's God speaking to his people, and his people are us here today. So here's Isaiah 58, you ready? Shout it aloud. Shout it, don't hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob their sin. Day after day they seek me out and they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of their God. They ask me for just decisions and they seem eager for, for me to draw near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not noticed? Why have we humbled ourselves if you've not seen it? But on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I've chosen? Only a day to humble oneself. Is it for bowing your head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? It's not this the kind of fasting I've chosen. To loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the captives free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? 
when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn your back on your own flesh and blood? Then, then your light will break forth in the darkness and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. Then you'll cry out and he will say, If you do away with the yoke of injustice and with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called restorer of broken walls and, and a restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then your joy will be in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Isaiah 58. And Isaiah 58 is a, a key passage for, for us in finding God's way. It's our motivational text, a heartfelt concern for the poor. I'd like to just spend a couple of minutes and look, uh, look at what this passage is saying. First of all, at the, at the beginning of the section, it's saying, Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sin. Day after day they seek me out and see me because you know my ways, so on and so forth. What this passage is, is talking about is going through religious motions, checking the religious boxes. I'm doing what I think I, I must do. You know, a prayer meeting, go to church, what, 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 what. I'm doing the religious thing without a heartfelt concern for my fellow man. That's what it's talking about. So, uh, this passage is, is talking about fasting, for example. You fast and you pray and you, you're looking from, you're seeking my face, but you have, you're neglecting the poor, the oppressed, and the downtrodden. Just as, as an aside, one of the things that uh, led Carrie and I to sell everything and move to South Africa was. I was a pastor at the time, a worship pastor in, in Canada, and I was working through a seminary degree, a master's degree in, in theology. Um, and I was working through it kind of one course at a time, that's all the time I had. Back in 2007, I started a course called Old Testament Survey. Well, that sounds boring. Survey of the Old Testament. Like, what? Okay, well, I've got to take this. It's a required course. Fine. And I thought, well, you know, how hard can that be? I know the stories. I know the creation. 
creation story. I know the whole Abrahamic thing, the call of Abraham, and the bondage of the children of Israel in, in, in Egypt, and the, I, know, I know the stories, the, the Exodus and the Promised Land and the prophets and people trying to read and run. So I know the stories. Guys, I am a bell-run. I have a total wake-up call in this course. I have no idea. Um, it was like, the clue phone was ringing, and it was it was for me. <laughs> and what I had my bell run about was God's heart for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the foreigner among you. The widow, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the foreigner among you. The widow, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the foreigner among you. It's all over the place, and I've never seen it before. I thought it was just a story of the children of Israel. No, it's a story of God's heart. And God's heart breaks for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, and the foreigner among you. And then you get to Isaiah 58, and here it is again, where God is pointing his finger at his people, saying, if you're not concerned for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the foreigner among you, I don't even hear your prayers. I'm not. I'm not listening to you at all. You're on the wrong track. Repent, come back, receive my heart, and do something about it, because that's the true false. And if you're about that business, then your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear, then you will call and the Lord will answer. That's what Isaiah 58 is about. And it's calling us, I'll just read the list, it's calling us to loosen the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked, do away with the yoke of oppression, and to spend ourselves on behalf of the oppressed. That's the list of things that God is calling us to. Well, Brothers and sisters, that to me sounds like the coming of the kingdom, where the oppressed aren't being left behind, where injustices are righted, where the yoke of oppression, the things that are keeping people down all the time, those things, the, the, the cords that are keeping those things tied on the necks of the people, those are being loosened, untied, and those yokes are being broken. <laughs> And we pray, Lord, would you please set the captives free? And I just imagine the Father saying, why are you asking me to do that? It's not a bad thing to ask me to do that, but actually, I'm going to do that through you. That's the plan. That's the plan. I'm calling you to do that. That's what my people are for. And when we know where to look, it's all over the place. It's our job. The promises when we engage in this way. Our light will break forth, our healing will appear. Our light will go before us, the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. Then we'll call, the Lord will answer, the Lord will guide us always. He will satisfy our needs in a sun-scorched land. We will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Our people, as we'll rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations of the kingdom and will be called repairer of broken walls and restore of streets with dwelling. Does anybody know of some, some streets that where dwellings need to be restored? Okay. 
adjacent. The rest of us that have been to Mulwenny, we were, Carrie and I were down there a couple of weeks ago, and my heart was absolutely broken. I was a wreck to see the devastation. So should we engage in these issues, in these societal issues, in issues of the poor and the oppressed, in education issues, issues of broken government, should we engage as God's people? The answer is clear. God's people are meant to accomplish God's purposes in the world. And that includes engaging with desperate need, loosening, removing, and breaking the yoke of oppression. But maybe in your heart this morning, one of the following objections come up. I can think of at least three. Objection number one. What difference can I possibly make in a nation that is so profoundly broken in so many complex and self-reinforcing ways? What difference can I make? You ever feel yourself feeling that way? I do. I get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed easily. I see so much need, uh, I, you know. Look, look at the issue of dependency, for example. In our nation, we're, we're living in, in a nation, in a continent of dependency syndrome. And the dependency syndrome is a mindset of scarcity, of lack, and I can't do anything on my own. I can't provide for myself. Please, won't you give me, right? Every robot, everywhere you go, has one of these. Syndrome. I get overwhelmed. So how do you break that mindset in a whole nation where millions of people have this mindset of lack and scarcity and I can't make it? So what difference can I possibly make? You know, I've come, the conclusion that I've come to on this question, because it's, it's an important one that needs to be addressed. The conclusion I've come to on this question is that it's the wrong question. Because my job is not to, it's not my job to change the nation. It's not even my job to change a life, ultimately. I'm an instrument, but it's not ultimately my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So what my job is to submit to the will of God like we just read in Isaiah 58, to loosen, remove, and break the yoke of poverty and oppression, to be engaged, my job is to submit to that will and to be faithful to what he's calling me to do so that I can be a tool in the hand of Almighty God to do with as he sees fit. I'm just a tool. Lord, use me as you see fit. I'll bend the knee, I'll submit, I'll engage, but it's, it's you that is wielding the tool. Um, I, have a, I have a saying I often say to myself, it's not my job to be successful. If it was my job to succeed, I would have given up a long time ago. So I'm trying to teach farmers how to be disciples of Jesus Christ and then to grow food from the land. And I have to say, up until now, I haven't been terribly successful. We're, we're making small wins, but after 10 years, have we changed the nation? From people leaning on their own understanding, doing things conventionally, bowing the knee to the ancestors,
plowing the land, burning the land, water cropping, and seeing crop failure year after year after year, and then just giving up and deciding, actually, I'm going to go to the city to find a job that we know doesn't exist. I mean, it's bad. In, in the field that I'm in, uh, I'm not seeing huge wins. The Eastern Cape, you drive through the Eastern Cape, 95% of usable farmland in the Eastern Cape is not being farmed. It's been abandoned. People have left the land and gone to the city to live in even worse poverty. And why have they done that? Because people who have tried to grow food have failed. Leaning on our own understanding, wanting to buy the tractor and the chemicals and burning the land and monocropping. We're coming against all of that saying, look to the master farmer, to the creator of all things. Let's learn from him. <laughs> so in farming notes, sorry, this is an aside of <laughs> in the trainings that we do with farming goats, we'll get a class like this, right? They've never been to a farming goatsman training, Blue Cross training. Most of them have been to church. So I'll say, so who was the first farmer? And in fact, I asked this question to a class just on Friday, and the answer was Abel was the first farmer. And so I got to say, Abel, Abel was the first farmer. Well, um, where did he learn to farm from? Who was his father? Oh, no, 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 Adam. Adam was the first farmer. Okay, Adam was the first farmer. Where did Adam first farm? Hmm. In, in the garden. In the garden. Yeah, he farmed in the garden. Well, who planted the garden? No. God planted. Yes, God planted the garden. Who was the first farmer? What was God? Yes, God was the first farmer. He's the master farmer. Let's maybe learn from him, shall we? <laughs> because it says in Genesis 2 that in the east of Eden, God planted a garden. So he created the world, and then there was this area called Eden, and in the east of Eden, he planted a garden. What kind of a garden was it? Was it a, a rose garden? No, no, it was a, it was a food garden. Right. God was the first farmer. And then it says, God took Adam and put him in the garden to do two things. It says in Genesis 2, I think, verse 19 or 20, to do two things, to work and care. To work and, oh wait, so before the fall there was work, right? It's not a curse. <laughs> work is not a curse. Uh, it can be, that's called toil, right? When we're monocropping and burning and plowing all the time and degrading the land, that's toil. Getting uh, crop failure, that, that's a curse. But work as one of God's children, that's a blessing. And caring for the land so that the land can care for us. That's what we get to teach in farming grounds. Like, anyway, that's a little bit of a side story. Okay. So, uh, what difference can I possibly make? It's the wrong question. I'm not called to change the nation, I'm called to be faithful to what God is calling me to. Second objection, hang on a second, is it really our job to intersect with societal ills? Is that our job? Isn't our job evangelism and discipleship? I get this objection all the time. Oh, and by the way, if it's, it's our job to evangelize and disciple people, by the way, it, it is our job. I'm not saying it's not absolutely our job, right? But the objection is, no, no, 
Our job is evangelism and discipleship, dealing with souls, and it's the government's job to inter intersect with the to sort the society stuff, right? That's the objection. In response, um, sure. I'll just skip that one. Um, in response, I'll just talk. I was going to talk about. Um, Greek philosophy, because Greek philosophy separates the physical from the spiritual. That's what Greek philosophy does, and we have that same mentality. It's coming to it's been in the church all along. It was in the church in the first century. It was called Gnosticism, where the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. Let's focus on the spiritual. And guys, I don't see it in Scripture, and I certainly don't see it in the life of Jesus Christ. Everywhere Jesus went. He was restoring the sight of the blind. He says, uh, what, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. Recovery of sight for the blind. Freedom for the oppressed and for those in bondage. So that's surely our job as well. The physical is not bad. Jesus was restoring the physical everywhere he went and it's our job too. Raising, feeding the hungry, um, healing the, the, line, the, the lame, restoring sight to the blind. But I also want to say that as a church, we've often uh, advocated our role in society and decided it's government's job. Government has a role, but Isaiah 58 makes it clear that God's people must be engaged. Universal. Um, universal education was the church's idea. The university movement was born out of Christian monasticism. Hospitals were founded by church people. We need to carry on that legacy. But thirdly, in response to this, uh, to this objection, isn't it government's job? Because what an incredibly huge missed opportunity for sharing the gospel. In farming God's way, we get to preach, guys, you reap what you sow. It's a spiritual principle. And it's true in agriculture. If you give to the soil, the soil's going to give to the plants, and the plants are going to give to you. It's a, it's a physical principle. It's a spiritual principle. And that spiritual principle applies to every area of life. What an incredible opportunity to share the gospel by teaching something practical like farming, but doing it in a gospel-centered way and teaching God's overall plan for all of life, and then here's how you apply that to taking care of the soil. We teach God's all-sufficiency. God is the one that provides all the natural resources from which we can gain uh, productivity from the land. Acknowledging God and God alone. We talk about how to apply that principle to agriculture. And then lastly, we need to be careful about how we define what the gospel is. To say that the gospel is believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins, rose from the dead, say it with your mouth so you get to go to heaven when you die, that's all true. But to say that is the sum total of the gospel is an exercise in the point. Because the gospel applies to every area of life, physical, social, mental, emotional, and of course spiritual, but we've lost, we've missed the plot, I think, often, and we've reduced this incredible gospel that is about the 
coming kingdom and freedom for the oppressed, recovery of sight for the blind, all of the things that Isaiah 58 talks about. We say, no, actually, it's about believing these three statements so that we can go to heaven when we die. And that's the gospel. I think we need to look more carefully at that. And I'm hoping today is the beginning of a conversation. I can't, I need to wrap up, but I, I can't finish by, um, without answering the question, okay, how then, how do we engage in these things? Um, I can't answer that question today. Um, I'll, I'll begin, but I will hold this book up and say this is a really good place to start. If I've stirred something in you, and if you want to start a journey on answering the question for yourself, how do I begin to engage in the Isaiah 58 mandate? This would be a good place to start. And anybody looking to start the journey, I highly recommend this book. It's called Toxic Charity. Listen to this. How churches and charities hurt those they help. So let's start by not hurting, learning how not to hurt through our, our good deeds. Uh, it's by Robert Lupton. It's available on Kindle. Um, yeah, you can come and have a look at it later. Guys, if we're going to start intersecting in society and what's really needed, there are three ways to do it. Emergency relief, like after the floods. And emergency relief is big, it's, it's dramatic, and it's highly short-term. Emergency relief is to stem the tide of the bleeding of the suffering, number one. Number two, once that's finished, once the decline is over, the immediate decline, the aftermath, and by the way, this looks like food, clothing, blankets, and shelter. That's what this looks like. Secondly, it's rehabilitation. Rehabilitation is engaging with people who, have, who were here Emergency relief is over, and now we're going to help rehabilitate them to where they were at before. Thirdly, this is the sphere that Carrie and I live in. It's called development. And development is about building capacity in people so that they can deal with their own issues. That's development. That's where I live. If you want to learn more about that, I've got all the time in the world to talk about development. But guys, we get into trouble by um, doing relief and rehabilitation efforts over when we should be doing development. Okay, so development, one of the uh, clearest examples of development is education. Educating people, that's building development. They're building capacity in people so that they can deal with their own situations. I'm going to leave you with two questions and then we're going to finish with um, worship song. The questions are these for your own contemplation. I was going to have us spend some time on these, but we run out of time. One of the question number one in closing, one of the great commandments is to love our neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Question number one. And who is our neighbor as a church? It's an important question. It's not one for me to answer. It's one for, for us to and then question number two, betterment, betterment does for others. 
we grow a lot of food and our staff take food home. That's not development. That's betterment. It helps them for that day. It's a blessing for them for that day. But we're not building capacity by giving them fresh products to take home. We're happy to do it. We just don't call it development. It's not capacity building. Capacity building is teaching them to grow their own food at home. That's development. Betterment is doing something for others. It's giving a man a fish. What ideas can you come up with to teach someone to fish? Those are the two questions I'm leaving you with. God bless you. Thank you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the Isaiah 58 mandate, and I thank you, Lord, that, you, that you're on a mission. And your mission is for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done on earth. But Lord, you called your church to be the agent of that mission. Father, give us wisdom as we consider these things. Give us wisdom in uh, how to approach loosening, removing, and breaking these yokes of poverty 